0: If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Before we read our text this morning, I want to provide for us a a bit of context. uh, Some of what has transpired in the history of Israel of the history of God's people up until this point because I think it'll prove helpful for us. Israel had had undergone some, some difficult times. Uh, they, they, were, they were a struggling nation. They throughout the book of Judges did what was right in their own eyes and their wickedness spiraled downward and downward. By the end of all of that, they, they cried out, We want a king like all the other nations. God, who was their king, said, Okay. As you wish, here is a king like all the other nations. And God gave to them King Saul. By all appearances, King Saul looked as if he was the perfect fit. He was tall. He was handsome. He he was strong. He was a warrior. But King Saul departed from the Lord, disobeyed the Lord, wandered away from the Lord such that the people of God paid the price for the king's failures. The people of God were plagued by their enemies and, and, and just had a, a horrible time under the reign of King Saul. But while Saul was on the throne, God was at work lifting up and raising up for himself a king after his own heart. He chose for himself a young man, a shepherd boy by the name of David, whom he anointed through the prophet Samuel, and after Saul's departure, after his death, David reigned as king, one of, his, one of his first priorities as king was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he accomplished that. There was a great celebration in Jerusalem. The people rejoiced. The people, uh, they had a peace that they hadn't had for, for years and years, generations. They had a plenty that they hadn't experienced for, for some time. There was a sigh of relief among the people of God. There was a righteous king on the throne. God dwelt among His people in Jerusalem and the people experienced a joy and a peace that they had not known in some time. Well, as David continued to reign, he he began to look around. He began to to notice he lived in a house with cedar walls and fancy things. And then he looked over and saw that that God dwelled in a tent. and That bothered him. And so he determined in his heart, I'm going to build God a palace. I'm going to build Him something that's far greater than anything I live in. And so he proclaimed that, and, and God quickly derailed that plan. The very moment He, he proclaimed that, that night God appeared to uh, the prophet Nathan in a vision, and, and God said, no, this is not how it's going to work. David, your plans are not my plans. And so uh, God, through the prophet Nathan, derailed the plan, and he, he told David through that word, you want to build a house for my name. That's not how it's going to work. I, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, I am going to build a house for your name. I'm going to make your son great and make his kingdom great. And by the way, there's going to be one from your line who is going to sit enthroned on the throne uh, in heaven for all time. We know this is the Davidic covenant. You can see it and read it for yourselves in First Chronicles chapter 17. Well, from that moment on, from that time forth, David determined in his heart, well, if I'm not going to build the temple of God, I can at least prepare to build the temple of God. I can get things ready for my son Solomon so that his job will be laid out and made easy. So David made it his life's mission to collect all the things necessary for this glorious temple, this palace, for the king of kings and uh, that's kinda where we begin to find ourselves in first chronicles chapter twenty nine in first chronicles twenty nine we see that david during those years had amassed a a massive amount of building materials Uh, the the amount of materials is is truly mind-boggling and in verse three of first chronicles twenty nine it says that david admits to the people okay i'm not just taking things from you to build this kingdom i am I am devoting my own wealth to this building project. I have given 3,000 talents of gold. Let me make sure I'm reading this right. And 7,000 talents of silver. A talent is 75 pounds. We know this to be, oh boy, I wrote it down somewhere, 112 tons of gold. That's a lot of gold. That's like $8 billion in precious metals that David gave of his own royal account. His own personal account he, he gave to the Lord for this building project. And in verse 5, church, he says to the assembly that had gathered before him, "Okay, I've given of myself freely and willingly. What are you going to do? How are you going to match this? And so the people gathered together, they, they formed as one, and they gave as one, and they themselves gave 5,000 more talents of gold and 10,000 more talents of silver. Another $12 billion worth of materials, not to mention the iron, the bronze, the, the precious metals. There was a, a massive treasure trove before the people as being ready for this temple project. And that's where we found, find ourselves here at our text today. So, if you would, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10, actually we're going to start in verse 9. Let's stand and let's read this text. <clears throat> then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David And You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might. And in Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank You, our God, and praise Your glorious name. But who am I? And what is My people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from You, and of Your own have we given You, For we are strangers before You and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building You a house for Your holy name comes from Your hand and is all Your own. I know, my God, that You test the heart. And have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God! And all the assembly blessed the Lord and, the, and the, the God of their fathers and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that You would, you would establish Your Word in our hearts today. Father, we pray that, that this Word would both challenge and edify this congregation. We pray that our hearts would be attuned to your truth, we pray it in Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there they stood. The King and the people of God. They stood there before this literal mountain of the earth's treasures. Uh, thousands of tons of gold and silver and bronze and iron and precious stones. And verse 9 the very first part of verse 9 says and they the people rejoiced. <laughs> we would think, well of course they rejoiced. How could they not rejoice? They they had billions of reasons to rejoice. I mean, this is the most successful building campaign in all of human history. They stood there gazing at this massive amount of wealth that had been accumulated for this offering. What they had accumulated was mind-boggling and you know, it's natural for us, it's natural for us to, to to think in such a way that, that we would conclude the reason for their rejoicing must be because of what they gave. The reason for their joy at that moment must have been because they they were patting themselves on the back and saying, Look what we have done, look at the amount we have given. But that is emphatically. Not the reason given in verse 9 for their rejoicing. Look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. The reason given in the text for their rejoicing was the, the how they gave, not the The what they gave. Uh, The the text before us today, church, reveals that generosity is a matter of the heart. We saw the word there in verse 9. It's wholehearted giving. We see the matter made clear in verse 17. God tests the heart. And with uprightness in heart, David and the people gave. Uh, We see that generosity is a matter of the heart. And as we work, this, work through this text this morning, uh, we're going we're to get our hearts checked. We're going to have a gospel EKG. Okay? Uh, and so, so, so get ready. This is going to be a tough test. Here's what we know about the heart. The heart in the Bible, almost always God uses the word heart not to refer to that organ that pumps oxygenated blood, throughout the entire body and thus giving life. It's not that at all. Almost always, God uses this term heart, this imagery of the heart to describe the central control center of our lives. It's who we are at our core. That's why He commands us to love the Lord your God with all your what? Say it! Thank you! We're going to respond today. It's going to be great. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. From it, Proverbs 4.23 says, flows the wellspring of life. One's heart displays who or he, he or she is as a person. Here's an awesome verse. Just re- reflect on this for a second. As in water, fla- face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man. Proverbs 27.19 From the heart the desires and the affections of man. From the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart determines the ways and the actions of a man. But there's something we need to remember about our hearts. It's a sobering reality. Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We need... Regular heart checks. They're not just good, they are necessary. And the heart check that is before us here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 isn't just for you as an individual. Right? This, this is in the context of the entire assembly. This heart check that is before us today is a heart check for our whole church. We are all together collectively being examined here. What is our heart condition as a church particularly in this realm of generosity not what we give but how we give listen i don't know if you've ever done a heart check i've never done one people tell me i should <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I've seen, you know, videos, pictures, and things. You're, you're on this treadmill. You're hooked up to a million different things. You've got nodes and, you know, electronics all and monitors all over. You've got this mask, and you're on this treadmill, and, and, and the doctor pushes the button, and away you go. Uh, that's what we're going to endure today as a, as a congregation. It's a, it's a heart check uh, that is a series of tests in the form of three questions. Okay? A nice simple outline for you. Heart check. Test number one. Do we have a heart of praise? Do we have a heart of praise? Look with me at verses 10-13. through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are You, O Lord, the God of Israel our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty... For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our our God, and praise your glorious name. As rejoicing broke out among the people of God. For, because of the willingness and the freedom and the wholeheartedness of their generosity, David stands up as representative of the people. We know that because he's using plural pro- pronouns here. He's speaking as king on behalf of the entire congregation. And he begins to, to bless the Lord. Now, what does it mean to bless the Lord? It's synonymous in many ways with praise the Lord. It, it simply means to to magnify. We sang that earlier, didn't we? To lift up. To exalt. We sang those words from Psalm 34 earlier. It begins like this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be continually on my lips. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. He tells of the congregation. Let us exalt His name together david the king stands up as representative of all the people and he begins to bless and praise the king of kings and what david says what follows in his praise what flows from his lips are are proclamations of praise and messages of magnification his praise was a veritable treatise On the majesty, the power, the authority, the sovereignty of Almighty God. His praise led him to declare what was already true of God. His praise acknowledged the eternal, immutable sovereignty of God. Lord, he uses the covenant name for God, it's in all caps. Yahweh, You own greatness. You own power. You own victory. It's who You are, Lord! Lord, You embody majesty and glory. Everything in all the universe is Yours. Why? You are Creator. Everything comes from Your hand. We live, we move, and have our being because of You. You are sustainer. And we praise Your name. You know, He could have been singing some songs that we teach to our our young children. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God can... The mountains are His. The rivers are His. The the stars are His handiwork. This This is that. My God is so big. He could have been singing... I, I, I relate everything to a song, so I apologize. Like, you can ask my wife. I'm always I'm like, that's a song. He could have been singing, God Always Wins! Victory in Jesus, because God Always Wins. He could have been, here's a test within a test. He could have been quoting last week's All Things Congregational Memory verse from Revelation 4:11. Let's say it together. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We have to do a little bit of work on that. If I was a doctor, I'd be like, yeah, that needs some work. (laughs) Test within a test. Try again. (laughs) Listen. David is not giving anything to God that God does not already own. David, in his praise, is not making the sovereign Lord of the universe any more sovereign. That's impossible. He's not giving to God anything that God needs. God is holy, holy, holy. Holy, the triune God of the Bible is completely sufficient in and of Himself. He needs nothing. Listen, God does not need our praise, but we need to praise the Lord. Amen? We need to praise the Lord. Our praise declares what is already and always will be true of the Lord God Almighty. So much so that that God inhabits the praises of His people. Our hearts align with the Lord's when we praise Him. And so we see in our text that, that praise is quite literally the beginning and the ending of this entire context. Praise is the beginning and ending of generous hearts. Wholehearted giving. We already saw in verse 10, "...therefore David blessed the Lord." We ended in verse 20, David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God and all the assembly, bless the Lord. Quite literally, praise bookends this whole section. Church, when our hearts are aligned with with God and the greatness and the power and the majesty and the victory and the sovereignty of God, we can't help but magnify the Lord. Mm. We get to do that. Each Lord's Day, I want to propose something to you since I have this pulpit right now. I want to propose to you every time we see a baptism that we get a little bit undignified when someone comes out of the water, okay? Uh, We just clap, and rightly so. That's something to celebrate. But we need to say, Praise God! We need to say, Hallelujah! We just got to see the picture of our death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. That's our story in Christ. Praise the Lord! We get to magnify. We get to sing each Lord's Day. I love, I love the Lord's Day. I, I sing by myself too much. But on Sundays, I get to stand here and I get to sing with the people of God whom I love and whom God loves. What a joy. You, you, you guys, some of you make fun of me. I, uh, I, I get done singing up here and I'm literally dripping with sweat that some, some people in the choir, you know, they have, they have hankies ready for me. Uh, I'm like, I, it's not just because I'm fat and out of shape, okay? I am literally giving my everything. Because I know that God is worthy of our everything. And that my, my whole goal is to invite you to, to worship the Lord and the greatness and the power that He is. He is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all, which is why we don't just sing in worship. He's worthy of it all, which is why we have an offering during the worship service. In the same way that God doesn't need our praises, but we need to praise Him, God doesn't need our offerings, but we need to offer to Him. He owns everything. (laughs) We're not giving anything that God doesn't already have. But we know, and God knows, that through our offerings we have an opportunity to communicate our love, our devotion. We have an opportunity to express with our bank accounts, His greatness. And God loves a cheerful giver. So here's your heart check. Church, where's your heart? What do your offerings, your offerings of praise, your offerings during the offertory, what do they communicate to the Lord about your heart? A heart of praise produces a heart of generosity. When we begin with, and end with praise, wholehearted generosity will surely follow. That was test number one. How'd you do? If I'm a doctor, I'm going to turn up the, the treadmill right now. Okay? I'm going to turn it from like two miles per hour to six miles per hour. I'm going to give it a little bit of an incline. You're going to have to start to jog. Okay? Test number two. Do we have a heart of humility? Do we have a heart of humility? Let's read verses 14 through 16. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you for we are strangers before you and sojourners all our fa- as all our fathers were our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding our lord o lord our god all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and it is all your own test number 2 do you have do we have a heart of humility with all of these glimpses of glory that David has just proclaimed, his gaze immediately turns to himself and asks the only logical question in light of God's glory, Who am I? Who are we that we should offer thus willingly? A heart of humility acknowledges the sovereignty of God and very quickly concludes we're not Him. Humility is, is willingly positioning another before you, or if you put it another way, humility is willingly positioning yourself below another. Humility is something we strive to demonstrate to one another. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of rivalry or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility toward one another is something we have to determine. Something we have to count or consider as the texts say. We have to make that decision. But hear me church, humility is not an option. uh, That decision is not an option for us to decide when it comes to God. He already is more significant to us. And infinitely so. We're not His equal. Uh, We don't place ourselves beneath the authority of Almighty God, if we understand the authority of Almighty God, we know that that is already true. We are humbled by the mere reality of God. You don't make yourself lower than God. You are lower than God. And it is with that heart of humility, that recognition of His station before the Lord that David expresses in verse 14, Who am I? And who are we that we are, that we are to give willingly? Thus, who am I and who are we? All things come from you, and of your own we have given you. You know, our pride, our pride makes walking in humility very difficult. Remember that verse in Jeremiah seventeen: the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is. Deceitful above all things. We can trick ourselves into believing something that is not true. And our pride makes walking in humility so very difficult. We want to, we want to look at what we've done and what we've accomplished. We want to say, "Well, we want to post it on Facebook. Look, look at this. Somebody liked this status. Uh, we, want to, we want to boast in the things that we've accomplished, we want to boast in the things that we own. The things that we have. Look what, look what I've done. Look what is mine. How quick we are to forget what this text clearly states multiple times. All things come from your hand. You own all things. Everything. That's comprehensive, church. Everything belongs to God. We've got to get that into our heads. There's nothing in all creation that God does not already own. He made it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Psalm 24.1 So, you can, you can fill in the blank. Think of anything. Think of anything that you have. And you need to remember that's God's. That house that you live in. It's God's. That house Bank account or that portfolio. Those digital numbers that money somewhere off in La La Land you don't even know really exists and it probably doesn't. <laughs> That's God's. That wife, those kids, God's. That car you drive, <laughs> it's God's. Listen, I've struggled with this. I, I have uh, failed too many times. I am a prideful individual. And I, I, I readily admit that, not proudly, but uh, knowing that we all struggle with these same things. It's very difficult for me to own a fast car. Now, if you can own a fast car to the glory of God, praise God, do it. Nothing wrong with fast cars or nice things i can't own a fast car humbly i one time i accidentally bought a race car on ebay (laughs) i'm not making this up god has a sense of humor i bought this car and it had a, a an aluminum forged racing motor perfectly tuned it had this super super turbo that when you shifted that short throw shifter it would go like that and (laughs) and i'm telling you that's not exact. this thing was lightning fast okay i would go from it it, it was dynoed i'm talking male language here some of you females don't know what i'm talking it was dynoed at to go zero to sixty in two point six seconds that's faster than a $200,000 Porsche 911 Turbo. Okay? This is what I was driving. It was something straight out of Fast and Furious. And I started driving the thing. I'm like, this is the greatest purchase of all time. I love this car, and I love myself for driving this car. <laughs> well, I didn't even get that car back to Kentucky. I bought it in Illinois. And I was driving on the freeway back to Kentucky, and God said, you are a moron. Get your eyes back on me, not on yourself. And he sent little Bambi along my way on the freeway. And that was the end of Dagon, the, the car that I've actually named Dagon. That's a different message for a different time. I had this, I, I used to have all kinds of cool stuff. I had this 56 Dodge pickup that I built from the ground. It was just a frame and a body. I was a teenager. I bought it. I built this 440 big block with this gigantic lopy cam, blah, 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 blah. big giant back tires, posi traction, and this thing would flat out burn forever. I mean, it would just go. It was fast. It was loud. It said Nate Bevere, and I felt like Nate Bevere as I drove this truck, this loud, obnoxious truck, and I got to thinking, I feel way too cool in this car, this truck. I love this truck more than I not necessarily love the Lord, but it's, it's competing with the Lord. So what I did, well, God took care of Dagon for me. I took care of the 56 Dodge for myself and said I can't handle it. I'm going to sell it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, you know? Just get rid of it. I don't need it in my life. I miss it. I don't need it in my life. But now I drive a, a 2006 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> it's the antithesis of Nate Bevere. <laughs> but it always works. It gets good gas mileage. And most importantly, it's the Lord's. Not mine. Church, if we're not careful, this, this mentality, this boastful pride of life can creep into the way that even we think as a church, we can look at all that we've accomplished and say, look at what we've done. We can, we can look at what we've built and say, look at what we've built. We can look at the vacation Bible school set and say, look at what we've done. You know, we, something I probably... Something that I intentionally work against, not only in my own heart, but in the way that I lead us as a church through a vacation Bible school and the many teams that I'm in charge of. I know there's other teams involved as well. But one of the things that I intentionally work against as we prepare for vacation Bible school and as we pull it off as a church body is I'm always working against this this propensity that we have as a church to, to possibly say, look at what we've done. You know what we do is pretty impressive. There's a wow factor with the set. There's a wow factor with the fact that you know we don't we don't buy anything. We write our own VBSs. We write our skits. We write our curriculum. We write our songs. It's all done right here in house. And 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 it's and it's my goal as we pull this off year after year is not to say look at what we have done, but look at what God has done. Look at what He is doing. Through the heart of humility says, uh, who are we, Lord? We, we have the joy of serving You. And all things come from You. All things are Your own. You ha- we have only given back what You already own. And so, VBS, it's yours. The, the swamp, swamp, swampity thing song. It's yours. You can, you can have that one. This great commission center. God's this land 36 acres it's God's look around church just do it this church this body of believers this family this assembly that we call Ashland Avenue Baptist Church this is not ours this is God's should we begin to think otherwise? Our text continues in verse 15. And David reminds us of our own susceptibility to death. He reminds us that we're strangers and sojourners on this earth. Look at verse 15. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. That, that term, no abiding, there is no abiding, simply means we're not going to be here forever. We are strangers, we are exiles, we are pilgrims. Now, what's fascinating to me about this part of this text, what's fascinating to me is that where is David when he is proclaiming all these things? He is in Jerusalem. He's in the Promised Land. But what does he admit, even as one who dwells in the Promised Land? We're still strangers. We're still sojourners. Church, that is true of every single one of us. We have that old hymn, This world is not my own, I'm just a passing through. Remember that one? I don't remember the rest. <laughs> you don't want me to sing the rest. Yeah, we are a people redeemed of God who humbly recognize the brevity of this life, the fleeting nature of the possessions we have in our possession, and instead of trusting riches, instead of trusting possessions, instead of making this home too much a home, we live, Hebrews 11, for a city whose builder and maker is God. We, like Moses, consider the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. And we, like Moses, look to the reward that that treasure stored up for us in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and nor thieves do not break in and steal. What is the next verse? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, where is your heart? Where's your treasure? May God, by His grace, grant us the heart of humility that echoes verse 16. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building You a house for Your holy name comes from Your hand, and it is all Your own. Test number one, do we have a heart of praise? Test number two, do we have a heart of humility? Okay, doctor's about to get real here, okay? We're going to incline all the way. We're going up to 10 miles per hour and you're going to be huffing and puffing on this treadmill. Here we go. Heart check number three. Test number three. Do we have God's own heart? Look at verse 17. I know, my God, that You test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. David, this Anointed shepherd king, this one who in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 was called a man after God's own heart, he acknowledges before the people of God that God tests our hearts. God gives heart checks. He places us in certain times and in certain positions when what we choose to do and how we choose to respond as His people reflect the condition of our hearts. These tests are tests of allegiance. Tests of faith. Tests that determine whether or not our hearts align with His. What will our heart decide? And we're not left wondering what God's heart is. It tells us in the same verse. Verse 17, You test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. God has pleasure in uprightness. That word uprightness stems from the word that means straight or direct or fixed. That means that that God takes pleasure. He delights in a heart that is fixed on Him, directed toward Him. He takes pleasure in one whose heart has a heart of praise. One who humbles Himself so that God may exalt us. He tests our hearts to determine whether or not our hearts align with His. And we know God's heart. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Father knows how to give good gifts to His children. How generous our Father is to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from from above. What greater gift in all the universe is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 9 refers to Him as the inexpressible gift. This one who was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that we, by His poverty, might become rich. Now get this, because it's going to help us today. In Christ, we are heirs with Him. Now, let's put some things together. If if He owns everything, that's what's in the text, that's true, and we are heirs of Him who owns everything, what do we have to look forward to? Everything. So why? Why would would we not mirror the heart of our generous Father, the heart of Jesus who freely gave His life for us. Why should we not freely and willingly and wholeheartedly give our everything to Him, knowing that His everything is our future? That's what's coming. It's all His already. Church, where is your heart? Look at the, the, the rest of verse 17 as we Come to a close here. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. David prays, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in our hearts and the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts toward you that that's our heart cry today that's my heart cry today lord keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct our hearts to you give us lord a heart of praise give us lord a heart of humility lord fashion our hearts to beat like yours give us your own heart O god so that by our generosity by the way that we give we might have opportunity to make great, to magnify, to exalt the strong name of our Lord. Church, where's your heart? In a few moments, we are going to have an opportunity what I believe is one of those tests from God. One of those times when He checks the pulse of His congregation. And my prayer is, that we would mirror His generosity toward us in the way that we freely and willingly and wholeheartedly devote and entrust ourselves to Him. You know, you might be here today and somewhere during this heart check, you realize, man, my, heart, my heart's cold. My heart doesn't beat at all for the things of the Lord. God can change that. I love what He says time and again in in the Prophets. He can take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. He can give you a new heart and a new spirit He will put in you, a new life He will give to you if you would only place your trust in Him. We would love to talk to you more about that. You might be here today and your heart is holding on too tightly to the things that are just going to rust away or be stolen or burn away at the end. Things that are already God's. And you need to spend some moments confessing to God, aligning your heart with His. You'll have an opportunity to do that as we respond. You might be here not having an assembly of believers to grow with and to, to live with. Well, we'd love to talk to you more about how to become a member together as we seek to magnify the Lord together. There's going to be folks down here. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a time of response. Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for this moment uh, in in the life of this church, for this entire season. Lord, we are mindful that You have poured out Your blessings upon us in Christ. We are mindful that that we are rich because of what Christ has done. And Lord, I pray that through this time together, we would would, uh, reflect on where our hearts stand before You. Help us, Lord, to align ourselves with all that You've all that You are and all that You've done for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.